0: And so our scripture reading today uh, for our passage is from Luke chapter 6, uh, in, and if, if you're using the Black Bibles that are provided, it is on page 1024. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus. And Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who would become a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So I don't know if it strikes you as much as it struck me as I was reading this, but With those words, the New Testament church began. Do you realize that? Jesus chose 12 men to be apostles, which just means the sent ones. To be those who would be sent in the name and in the power of Jesus to spread the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God became a man and died for your sins. And they started a movement in Jesus' name that continues now, 2,000 years later, and you and I are beneficiaries of their ministry. It is, in some ways, you could say this is the beginning of the new covenant. And we kind of catch glimpses of that, because look at, look at what's going on here. God's man, God's chosen anointed man, who is here to save God's people, has gone up onto a mountain and communed with God the Father all night. And now he comes down from the mountain and chooses 12 leaders of his community, and then he's about to, and we'll see it next week, he's about to describe what life in this new community looks like as he gives them, how do you live in this community? Does it sound familiar? It should sound familiar. It should sound like Moses, who went, was called up onto a mountain and communed with God the Father and came down to the 12 tribes of Israel And laid out for this newly saved people, this newly delivered people, what does it look like to live as a newly saved people? What does it look like to live in this new community God has created for us? And so that's why I say this is like we're seeing the seeds of the new covenant uh, being planted even before our eyes. Now, before we get too deep into that, I don't want us to go too quickly over verse 12, because I think this is pretty key. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. You may not have noticed it, because I haven't focused on it very much in the p- past chapters, but this is a pattern that Jesus establishes, that when that he would regularly seek out desolate places early in the morning, to pray. Uh, We're told in chapter 4 that he he arose and went to a desolate place. In chapter 5, we're told he arose and went and sought a desolate place where he could pray. And then here, he goes up onto a mountain and prays all night. Jesus pulls an all-nighter on the mountain. Now, I imagine some of you have experienced all-nighters in the past. I know I have. Uh, This is not an all-nighter like you and I experience, though, because if we are honest, most of our all-nighters come because of very bad decisions we've made before that night. We have avoided or ignored or put off far too long some task, some calling, some project, some paper, some testing, something that we should be doing, and now the time has come and we have to pull an all-nighter. That's not what's going on here with Jesus. Other times we're up all night out of anxiety, right? Like, it's not that you have anything pressing that you have to do, but maybe you have pressing things that you're concerned about. You know, maybe a large event that's coming up. I don't know, a wedding, a shower, Uh, maybe uh, something else that you're preparing for, maybe something less celebratory. Maybe there's something that you're not looking forward to, a surgery, a trial, and it keeps you awake at night and you just, and you kind of spend the whole night kind of teetering between worrying and praying and worrying and praying and you just can't get any sleep. That's actually not what's going on here. Although, It did happen in Jesus' life that will happen the night that he's betrayed. Uh, That night after uh, he institutes the Lord's Supper, he spends all night in Gethsemane praying, teetering between anxiety over what is coming and turning to the Father and saying, I don't know if I have the strength to do this, but you can give me the strength. I don't know if I even want to do this, but I want to do your will. This is good. Those are good things for us, and perhaps uh, when we get to closer to Easter, we'll talk about why that should be a, a comfort to you and me, that Jesus has those kinds of nights. But this is not that kind of night. It could be that some of his time in prayer is because of what he's been through so far, because Jesus has come, and we've seen that Jesus has been teaching and healing and forgiving sins and loving sinners and irritating the leaders, because they just can't stand that he would have the audacity to forgive sin and love sinners. That just, that goes beyond anything that they want to see accomplished. And so this guy comes in and he befriends sinners, he forgives their sins, he's touching lepers, he's healing people on the Sabbath of all days, Uh, he's teaching with an authority that the scribes could only wish they had. And so they're just not happy with him. And he's getting them, they're becoming more and more irate, and so it would make sense that as Jesus' ministry progresses, he would spend time in prayer more and more, because he knows where this is leading, and he would go to his Father in prayer for that. But also, he's spending time in prayer, as we've already said, because, because of what Jesus is coming down in the morning to do. And so he's praying about Because it it, it tells us that after the night of prayer, he came down and chose his 12 apostles. And so he's praying for his apostles, praying for wisdom on who to choose, or perhaps he already knows who he's choosing. Praying for uh, himself as he knows that he has to uh, put up with these 12 apostles now. Maybe he's praying for them already, knowing that there's going to be a time when they are going to be very discouraged. And even beyond that, a time when he won't be with them anymore. And so he's praying already for his apostles. He prays all night over these 12 men. It causes us to wonder, and that's all we can do is wonder, did he already know, or was it through this time of prayer that the Father revealed to him whom he would call? Was his prayer specific for each man? Did he pray for Peter? Did he pray for Bartholomew? And if so, what did he pray about Judas? We're talking in Sunday school right now about prayer. And I think a good, important takeaway for us, if if the Son of God cannot face a future trial, an immediate task without prayer... What possible hope do you have in facing those same things without prayer? If the Son of God won't face something that's coming without prayer, and He is sinless, and well, the Son of God, what? How odd that we think, oh, I got, I can, I can figure this out. I, I got this. I got it. It's this is pretty easy stuff. I mean, I mean, you pray, you know, because you don't know what. You only pray when you, when you don't know what to do. And I, don't, I, I know what to do, so I don't really need to pray. That would be silly. It would be superfluous. The second thing that I think is interesting is uh, just the end of the list of Jude, with Judas. It would appear that Jesus does not have a very effective prayer life. I mean, if he was praying for good and godly men to be a part of his team, that Prayer didn't take. It reminds us that sometimes we approach prayer with the uh, with very kind of pragmatic. You know, I pray when it works, and when it doesn't, I'll do the things that work. Well, how do we know what works? How do we know what God is doing when He says, "No, I'm not going to give you twelve godly men. I'm really not going to give you any godly men." But we'll get onto that in a minute. I wonder if Jesus spent all night in prayer and, and Judas was still chosen. Maybe we're getting something wrong about prayer and pain and trials. Maybe Jesus' prayer for Judas was, God, help me, help me love him anyway. Help me be able to do this. But here we are, Morning is broken. Jesus has said amen. He's come down and he's calling his disciples together. And from them he chooses twelve apostles. This gets a little bit confusing for us because we don't usually talk about the twelve disciples as apostles until Acts for some reason. Even though here it says he called them apostles. Uh, we think that we think of the twelve as disciples, but the reality is we're already told there are disciples. And in fact, that's all there are as, follows, as far as followers of Christ. Like, disciple isn't some next level of Christianity. Disciple is a Christian. When Jesus sends his disciples out in in Matthew 28, he says, go, make disciples. That's what you and I are. We're disciples. But from those disciples, he chose 12 apostles. And I wonder if we don't like calling them apostles when they're in the Gospels, because then we'd have to admit Judas was an apostle. Judas was chosen by God to be one of the sent ones. And we just, that just sounds and feels too much like failure, so we'll wait till Acts and then we'll admit, oh yeah, well, they're also called apostles. So before we get to Judas, let's meet the 12. Admittedly, this is going beyond the list of names here. We're going to consider what we know about these men, mostly, not mostly, entirely from scripture and almost entirely from the gospels what do we know about these guys Uh, we can use church history and we don't want to say that just because the canon was closed nothing true was ever written again that would be silly it's odd how we study american history and we trust what they write but when we study church history we're like yeah i don't think that's the way it happened (laughs) it's like well why why do you trust that george washington chopped down a cherry tree and said oh i cannot tell a lie that didn't happen But there's other things and other legends that we have with uh, the apostles as well. One that's pretty, probably pretty true uh, is that uh, 10 of the 11 were martyred, were killed for their faith. As near as we can tell, John uh, lived out, lived until like he died of old age. But other than that, uh, church history tells us that, at, that the other 11 were, were martyred, some of them pretty gruesomely. And if, and if we can trust church history, which we probably can, several of them were crucified but had such high view of their Savior, they refused to be crucified in the same shape that he was crucified because they didn't think they were worthy of that kind of death, of dying the same way their Savior died. And so Peter, for example, is crucified upside down. And others were crucified on an X. I think Andrew was crucified on an X. And so uh, it's just interesting to uh, read these things. You can read a lot about them in the the Book of Martyrs. But I said, if we're going to look at the scripture and not church history. So uh, Luke 6 here is one of four lists of the apostles. There's only four places that the 12 apostles are listed. And one of them is Acts. And so it's only 11 because Judas is already dead. Uh, they are, if you want to write these down, they are Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts 1. So interesting, John doesn't list out the, uh, the 12, and John seems to indicate that either someone has a different name or someone else is considered one of the 12, but we'll get to that as well. It's fun because no two lists are the same. Like, they're not in the same order, so that gets weird. Um, other than Simon Peter's always first and Judas Iscariot is always last. And then in between there, they, they go off in their own direction, although not entirely. So each of them has a group of four that never changes, even though they alter within. And then the middle group of four, and it's always the same four, sometimes in different orders. And the last group of four, always the same four, sometimes a different order. But, that, but within those four, they don't change. So you've got the first four are, at least in our list, in order, are Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John. In the next list, we have uh, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. And then in the fourth list, I said there were a lot of Jameses in today's sermon. James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, another James, and Judas Iscariot. So some of these names you probably recognize. Some of these names are the standard culprits of guys you never remember when you're trying to list the 12 disciples. And every time you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's not because you have a bad memory or you're a bad Christian. Now, you may have a bad memory and you may have a bad Christian, but that has nothing to do with memorizing the disciples list. Uh, It's because some of these aren't only mentioned in these four lists. Nothing beyond these four lists is said about some of the apostles, the 12 who were sent into the world to start the New Testament church. So let's look at some of them. Uh, What do we know about them? What does Scripture say about them? Simon, always at the top of the list, like I said. Jesus called him Peter almost from the first day he met him. Uh, we're told in John that when Andrew brings Peter to Simon to see Jesus, uh, he calls him Peter immediately. Peter, James, and John uh, were the kind of inner three, so that's why sometimes that first four list gets changed because sometimes the the gospel writer wants you to be reminded of Peter, James, and John, or Peter, John, and James, and then Andrew takes up the back end. Or other times, other guys like Luke are saying, well, Peter and Andrew are brothers, James and John were brothers. And so he tries to put people together that kind of go together. So Peter, James, and John had a pretty unique relationship with Jesus. They had the opportunity to be with Jesus at times when others did not have the opportunity. So Jesus brought them into some of his highest highs, And Jesus brought them into some of his lowest lows, just these three. So they were brought with him to see Jesus raise a young girl from the dead. And these were the only three that were in the room at the time. They were brought, if you remember, to the transfiguration. These were the only three that got to experience and be a part of and witness Jesus' uh, glory unveiled. But they were also the three that were brought into the intersections of Gethsemane. These three were asked to come with Jesus And pray with him because his heart was overwhelmed to the point of death. And when your heart is overwhelmed like that, you need your friends. And so he asked them to join him. But going back to just Peter, he's a fisherman by trade, he's the son of Jonah or the son of John. We could probably all say about the same things about Peter he was impetuous, he was uh, talk first, think second, or third. Uh, Peter walked on water, but also sank when he got scared of a wave. Peter expresses amazing faith in who Jesus is and then rebukes Jesus for talking about the crucifixion too much and being a Debbie Downer. Uh, Peter defended Jesus with a sword and then denied he knew who Jesus was when an eighth-grade girl questioned him. So this is... Peter, this is the the strong one. This is the one who's at the top of the list. Maybe you wouldn't top our lists, but here he is. Then his brother, Andrew, also a fisherman, obviously also the son of John or Jonah. Uh, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. Uh, And then John the Baptist tells Andrew, go go follow Jesus. Andrew, interestingly, is the first person to call Jesus the Messiah. He goes, he goes, and he says, where where are you staying? And he says, well, you come, follow me, you'll see. And then Andrew runs, and he finds his brother Simon, and he says to him, we have found the Messiah. So it's interesting that Andrew is the person God used to bring Peter to Christ. We don't know nothing about Andrew, which was an intentional double negative. We do know some things about Andrew. Um, he's the one who finds the boy, the only boy who was smart enough to bring a lunch uh, and then ended up having to share it with 5,000 people. That's what you get for bringing a lunch. Uh, Andrew brings two Greek men. So Philip brings two Greek men to Andrew. These Greek men said, sir, we want to see Jesus. And then Andrew brings them to Jesus. So Andrew, was a, he's a bringer. He, uh, but that's about all we know about him. Then their partners, James and John. James, again, a fisherman by trade. He's the son of Zebedee, he and John. Again, he's one of the three inner circle, so we know those things. Also, he's he's one of at least three significant Jameses in Jesus' life. So there's James here, there's James at the end of the list, the son of Alphaeus, and then there's even James, Jesus' half-brother. So a lot of Jameses, you can get confusing Scholars try to say, "Oh, obviously there was only one James," which is obviously that's true because no two people in the world have the same name. Just seems strange to me. We've had a we've had a Don Davis and a John Davis. We've had a John and a Johnny. We've had a Bob and a Robert and another Robert, uh, all just at Hope of Christ. And when we talk about you know how cute and cuddly Robert is, nobody thinks we're talking about Bob Underwood, one of your elders. Like, we, and we don't, and so, like, when it gets confusing, we might say, Bob the Younger, Bob the Elder, Bob the Lesser, Bob the Greater, but in today's days of weight gain, we, nobody likes to be called Bob the Greater anymore. So, Jesus nicknamed James and his brother John the Sons of Thunder. I like doubt it was because of their milk, toast and quiet dispositions. They were... Uh, They're only slightly less obnoxious than Peter, I think. Really? So there's one point they're walking, and a village doesn't show them all the respect they think they need. And so James and John come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, do you want us to call, like, fire down and destroy that village? And he's like, What? (laughs) Another time they're like, Hey, Jesus, we want you to do what we ask you to do. Such a childish, I'm going to ask you something, Mom, and I want you to say Yes. But they come to Jesus with that logic. We want to ask you for something. We want you to say yes. And he say, so we would like to sit on your right and left when you are reigning and in charge. And he's just like, you guys are awesome. That's great. Um, again, uh, J- oh, James is the only apostle that we hear of his martyr. We read of his martyrdom in Acts. So he's the first apostle martyred. In Acts 12, Herod uh, kills him by the sword, so likely beheaded him. John, basically everything we know about James, we know about John. Um, You can add to that that uh, John, Jesus, on the cross, asks John to take care of his mother, to watch over his mom when he dies and even after his resurrection and ascension. Uh, We know We think he's younger than most of the other apostles. We know he's fitter than Peter because he outruns him, and he wants to make sure that you know at least four times he says in John 21, oh, I am faster than Peter. Uh, Philip. Philip is from Bethsaida near Capernaum. The most we know about Philip is that he brought Nathanael, his friend, to Jesus. Also at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus asks Philip specifically, he says, hey, where are we going to get some food for these people? And Philip, being the pillar of faith, says 200 days' labor would not be enough to get these people a snack. And so um, later, uh, after the, Lord's, the first Lord's Supper, as Jesus is teaching them, Philip says to Jesus, hey, show us the Father. That would be enough. And Jesus just looks at him and he's like, do you you listen when I talk at all? He says, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Bartholomew, this is the first one that the only reason you know his name is because it's in these four lists. And that's all you know. Uh, We don't know much about him. Other than that, he's closely associated with Philip, which may indicate a relationship with, that, with Philip, because they're almost always listed together. And then it might mean that he's Nathaniel, and some scholars ponder that. Partly because Bartholomew is a name that simply means son of Ptolemy. And usually when you have a son of someone name, you also have another name that isn't son of. And so Nathaniel could be, and I think it's pretty likely that Nathaniel is Bartholomew, Partly because Nathaniel in John is called one of the twelve, but he's not in any of the lists, and yet he's called one of the twelve. If it's true, if Bart is Nate, then that means that he is skeptical at best and cynical at worst, because he is the one that when Philip came and said, we found the Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth, he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth. Matthew, you all know, you've met him a couple weeks ago, the tax collector by trade, Uh, so he's pretty much public enemy and hated. Um, He's singled out by Jesus, not after he had quit his sinful job, but in the middle of doing his sinful job, Jesus called him. He invites other people to come and have dinner with Jesus, his fellow tax collectors, and other 'er ne'er-do-wells. Thomas, uh, uh, he is nicknamed the twin by Jesus and doubting Thomas by the rest of Christianity. Um, he's not really a silent behind-the-scenes type, but he's not one of the majors either. Uh, when Jesus says, let's go, my friend Lazarus has died, we're going to go and visit and console his sisters, Thomas, in an exasperated moment, just says, sure, let's all go to Jerusalem and die. So, uh, And we all know of... Um, well, before we get to the after the resurrection, Jesus is talking about the way, and he's talking about how, uh, how they're going to follow him one day. And Thomas says, how do we know? We don't know the way. How do, we don't even know where you're going. And Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. So for some reason, he's not around during the uh, first appearance of Jesus after his resurrection to the apostles, and he has never lived that down. And, uh, you know, we, we look at him and we recognize that uh, there's more of him in us than we would like to say admit. And, uh, but what a great gift that even the weakest of faith, Jesus delights in. So we have a few more that are just, we only know them because of these lists. James, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, the only thing, we know two things about him. He's on this list of apostles and he has a really common name. Uh, Simon the zealot again he 's only listed in these four lists Now, the zealots of that time, if this reference is to this, uh, there was a Jewish sect called that called themselves the zealots, and they saw um, the coming of the Messiah as a purely political and um, violent coming. They were expecting a violent overthrow of Rome. They expected uh, the Messiah to come and lead a revolution uh, and take back their their city with blood. So Judas, son of James, he's only mentioned in four lists again, and it could be that he's only mentioned in two lists because in two of the lists he's called Thaddeus. He's called James, or Judas the son of James, or sometimes he's called Thaddeus, or Thaddeus the son of James. And that sounds strange until you remember who the next dude on the list is, and if you had the same name as the next Judas, wouldn't you go by Thaddeus also? Of course you would. You'd be like, oh, please don't call me Judas. No, I'm not that Judas. No, I'm Thaddeus. Just call me Thaddeus. That would be much better. But again, that's all we know about him. And then sadly, we come to Judas Iscariot. Maybe we know more about him than we do about Peter. I don't know. They're, they're kind of in the running with each other. He's probably the most famous of the apostles because he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We know that he was in charge of the money for the group and that he stole from that to line his own pockets occasionally. We know that he was indignant when a woman Anointed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume, thought uh, that should have been sold and the money entrusted to him. He sat near, maybe even right next to Jesus at the Last Supper. And as they sit in a circle and they lean in, they would lean on each other. Uh, we're told already that John was the one who leaned on Jesus. So it's like the, the trusted, the, the one, the beloved. John's often called the beloved. But then that meant Jesus was leaning on someone, and that's the trusted one. So if you ate someone, you were leaning on, back on someone. It was someone that had a high honor. It was a person you were entrusting as you ate. And so if Judas had that seat, he sat in the trusted chair of Jesus the night he died, the night he was betrayed. Judas goes to the priest. He offers to betray Jesus, he says he'll signal it with a kiss, And in the end, he's so full of shame and remorse, but he has nowhere to go with that shame and remorse, and he ends up killing himself. So you remember two weeks ago when uh, Rich reminded us from the passage that Jesus is a friend of sinners and only sinners? And it's a good thing because that's all this world has to offer him as friends, our sinners. And if we didn't realize it when Rich was preaching, we look at this list of 12 and you can't miss it. These guys aren't like the upper echelon. They're 12 men who are desperately lost and dead in their sin. And if they don't, turn their lives over to Jesus, nothing makes any logical sense other than suicide. Maybe you are thinking that there are things in your life that disqualify you from this table today, that disqualify you maybe from Christianity itself. At the very least, they disqualify you from God's love. Well, then, can I tell you that you would make an excellent apostle candidate? Because those are who his apostles were men whose sin disqualified them from God's love, whom God chose to love. You're not an apostle, you are a disciple. But consider and take to heart the warning of Judas. Uh, you can look like a follower of Jesus. You can be exposed to his teaching and never let it in and hate him all the time. You know, after seeing the All-Nighter and the Twelve, just in brief, we come to this, this kind of introduction to the Sermon on the Plain. Next week, we'll look at the whole Sermon on the Plain in one sitting. But here's the introduction to it. And we're told that at least there are three groups. There's already the apostles that have chosen out of the disciples. There's the disciples. And then there's even just crowds, crowds of people just curious, just wondering, can this be as good as they're making it sound? They came to hear him and to be healed by him and to be changed by him. They came to hear him. There is truth that needs to be spoken, taught, preached. They came to be healed, to be cleansed, to be washed, to be made new. And they came to be changed, to be instructed. Now being a part of this saved community, how should we live? And that will come next week. But for now, we rejoice in the salvation that we sinners have in Christ alone. We're not any better but we're not any worse than the apostles of Jesus. We are sinners saved by grace. Let's pray and celebrate that. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your sacrifice. God, please guard our hearts that we might uh, take to heart the warning of Judas and the reminder that it's in us all. Holy Spirit, would you uh, drive out our sin and give us a desire to know to seek out what does it look like to be to live in this new saved community all for the glory of jesus name amen